All right, team, let me tell you about NewZest, clean plant-based nutrition products to meet the demands of modern life. And I'm super excited to announce that they are a sponsor of Wikipedia. With over a decade of experience and a presence in more than 20 countries worldwide, NewZest has emerged as a leader in providing innovative solutions for those seeking healthier and more sustainable choices. In a world where people are looking for clean labels, easily digestible ingredients and allergen-free options, NewZest delivers and totally has you covered. Clean Lean Protein is a plant-based protein powder and contains all nine essential amino acids. It encourages recovery, vitality, muscle repair and growth and helps you hit your protein requirements which you know I am all about. One of my favorite products is their Good Green Vitality. It's the gold standard in multi-nutrients. It's designed to make complex nutrition simple. The Super Blend is carefully formulated to address all aspects of health. 75 ingredients working together to support everything from digestion, immunity and healthy aging to stress, energy and cognition in one daily serve. Grab yours today, guys, with a sweet 20% discount for being a listener of the show with the code Wikipedia over at their website. And we will pop a link in the show notes for you to be able to do that. All right, now back to the show. Welcome. Hi. I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being, and I'm delighted that you're here. Hey everyone, it's Mickey here. You're listening to Wikipedia, and this week on the podcast, I speak to Gil Blander, the founder of Inside Tracker, a revolutionary platform that empowers individuals to optimize their health by tracking and improving their biomarkers. Not just biomarkers, actually, there are a lot of other things that Inside Tracker tracks. So, Gil shares his journey into the world of longevity and health, shedding light on how Inside Tracker is pioneering personalized health optimization. We discuss Gil's passion for longevity, the science behind biomarkers used in Inside Tracker, how personalized health data may lead to significant behavior change, their own inner age calculation as a behavior change tool, and their published research, including the biosignatures of endurance runners, something very near and dear to my heart and maybe yours. It goes without saying that this episode is a must-listen for anyone interested in the cutting edge of health optimization, longevity science, and personalized well-being. So Gil Blander, PhD, is an internationally recognized biologist, longevity expert, and the founder of Inside Tracker. With a profound passion for aging research and personalized health, Gil has dedicated over two decades to exploring the science of longevity and biomarker analysis. Holding a PhD from the Wiseman Institute of Science and having conducted postdoctoral research at MIT, Gill's academic and professional journey has been focused on that intersection of biology, technology, and health optimization. Through Inside Tracker, he aims to empower individuals to take control of their health by providing them with personalized, data driven insights to live longer, healthier lives. Gil's work has been featured in major publications and he continues to be a leading voice in the fields of biotechnology and personalized health. 
And for what it's worth, I didn't think Inside Tracker was available in New Zealand, but you can update your data. I always learn things on these podcasts, so it doesn't surprise me when loads of people touch base with me saying that they do too. So we have links to both Gil and Inside Tracker in the show notes, so absolutely go there for more information. And of course, Gil also has a podcast, Longevity by Design, and I've got a link to that in the podcast notes as well. All right, team, enjoy the conversation. Um, Gil, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me this morning about Inside Tracker, longevity, wellness, biomarkers, biofeedback, all of those, you know, really good things. Um, I'd love to just start with your your own story in the Inside Tracker company, because you know, obviously, you 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 must have had a keen interest in understanding the kind of biomarker longevity space well before you sort of kicked off into Inside Tracker. So, can you give us a little bit about how you sort of built the company and, and yeah, where you started? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, uh, thank you for inviting me. And uh, yeah, from a very young age, I was fascinated by the aging uh, process, actually from the age of 12. And the reason for that is that a relative of mine passed. And instead of being worried about her, I was uh, worried about myself. I realized that I won't live forever. And uh, from that time, I decided to dedicate my life to try to understand why do we age? How can we delay onset of aging-related diseases? And how can we improve the quality of life and actually improve our health span? Maybe we'll discuss it later. And not only live longer, but also live better. Um, So I decided to study biology and uh, uh, did my PhD at the Weizmann Institute of Science in Israel. And then uh, moved here to Boston, to MIT and uh, spent five years at uh, one of the best labs uh, that's studying aging uh, in the world, the lab of uh, Lenny Guarante. He's uh, the scientist that uh, discovered CIR2 or, or the sirtonin as a, a master aging regulator. He showed that they increased lifespan in yeast, also in worms. Uh, he showed also that CIR2 is a histone deacetylase, Protein deacetylase, and it's an NAD dependent deacetylase, which is interesting. A lot of people are now really interested in NAD, and that's one of the reasons why. Um, and I spent five years with him. It was a, a, a great uh, experience. Uh, and during that time, I started to be exposed to the biotech, uh, pharmaceutical high tech environment of uh, Kendall Square. Kendall Square is actually where is my office right now, and I'm talking to you from my office. Is uh, basically the area around MIT, and there are thousands of companies uh, in this area: uh, biotech, high tech, pharmaceutical. And I started to be exposed to some of them, and I realized that maybe I can uh, contribute more to humanity if I start my own company than being a professor in the academia. So uh, after five years at MIT, I left uh, um, the university, moved to the industry, worked in a computational biology, system biology company for a couple of years. And during that time, I uh, started to research uh, caloric restriction, which is a a regime that well known to extend lifespan in model organism. And I try to understand what is the molecular pathway, why caloric restriction extend lifespan in model organism. And uh, during that work, I uh, started to realize that it's not easy to mimic caloric restriction. 
<laughs> and then I uh, started to be exposed to the nutrition domain. Before that, uh, my uh, interest wasn't in nutrition, but I realized uh, at that time that there are around 8,000 food items that uh, we, cons we can consume or available for us. Uh, we are now building an application, so I know that the average, uh, at least American, in an average week, only consume around 45 food items. We have 8,000 food items available for us, and we consume only 45 of yeah. them. And uh, also, uh, what we realize, and I assume that you realize as well, not necessarily we are uh, consuming the right food that's good for us. We consume what's available, but not what is uh, fit for us. And that's what I call uh, personal nutrition, and that's basically the Aurora moment that uh, brought me to InstaTracker idea is, let's try to feed the right food for the right person, and based on that, allow the person to optimize himself or herself and allow them to live uh, better longer. Um, and then we said, okay, but how would you, we know that Mickey needs this food and Gil needs that food? It's very hard to know. So we said, let's find biomarkers, something that will tell us exactly what are the deficiency of a, a, a Mickey versus Gil. And based on that, when we know the deficiency, let's uh, provide to her the right food, right supplement, right exercise, right lifestyle changes to allow her to live uh, better longer. And um, that was the genesis or the genesis of the idea of InstaTracker. We very uh, early uh, zoom into um, blood biomarkers because blood biomarker for me is like a liquid gold. It's validated and calibrated everything. It's a, a kind of data that your clinician making medical decision based on it. So it's a well known, a lot of uh, peer reviewed scientific publications. So uh, very scientific, so we can come and tell you if your, glu your glucose is high and your LDL is high and maybe your testosterone is low and vitamin D is low, what is the best food for you to eat? What is the best exercise for you to do? What is the best supplement to take or stop taking? And what is the lifestyle changes that you should do in order to optimize uh, your body? The most important, maybe the most complex machine that uh, we have. Um, and then uh, uh, in the last few years, we added a, a few more modalities. So it's not only blood anymore. We are looking at the uh, DNA data, data from physiological markers like a fitness tracker. And uh, we're also asking now we use some questions. And now we are adding more modality. Maybe we'll have time to discuss it. Uh, today. Yeah. So that's the story in a nutshell. Yeah, that's great. That's a, uh, it's a big nut, really. To crack, um, I always wonder this with academics. Like, once you get sort of tenure in a in a um, in institute, to sort of give that up to go forth with this idea, I think it's quite courageous, Gil. You know, there's few people would probably make that leap, and um, obviously, it's been very successful for you as well. I'm keen. This is sort of a bit of a tangent. I was just listening to Brian Johnson on a podcast. Do you know? You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know him, I know about him. Yeah, yeah, so for the listeners who are unfamiliar, I think you'll know who I'm talking about when I describe. He's a man who's who's dedicated his life to not dying. That is his major uh, premise. And it's it almost seems less about health and more about the not dying, actually. And I feel like they're quite different things. Um, I just am curious to hear any of your thoughts, like, because it's, it's not too dissimilar. It's just that he's taken it to the absolute and almost an unlivable extreme for most people. But obviously, Inside Tracker is designed to be helpful and useful for the individual to implement realistic changes. 
Yeah, so maybe a bit of a background about Brian Johnson. So he's a very successful entrepreneur that uh, uh, made a lot of money. And there, there are a lot of uh, people like that in the, uh, let's say, the longevity domain. Uh, Bezos is another one. And there are a lot of other that basically made a lot of money. And then they realized, what is the thing that I, uh, that I can't have? What I cannot buy with money? And uh, let's say there are a few things that you cannot buy with money. One of them is health and one is longevity. So all of them are now pouring a lot of money in, uh, in the domain to try to, to find a way for them to extend their uh, lifespan. So uh, again, from the stories that I read about Brian, he, he made a lot of money, but he lived uh, not a very healthy life. And he decided uh, uh, to change it. He invested, uh, as he said, uh, around $2 million to do a lot of tests and try to understand what's happening with the, his body. Now he's taking, he's consuming like a few hundreds of supplements and uh, living a very, I would say, a, a tough life of a, 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 without any a, um, excitement because everything is very control based on uh, what a physician are telling him. And he's trying by that to optimize himself and uh, to live uh, better longer. I think that it's interesting. I think that it's, uh, it's good. For, uh, in my opinion, it's a bit too extreme. Uh, I don't think that a lot of people can do that. And uh, I also think that it's not available for a normal person because, it's, uh, as, uh, as I said, he spent $2 million on uh, testing himself. That's not something that an average person can do. But I think that the direction is good, and I think that's good for the longevity domain, that uh, there is some, someone like him that is uh, uh, taking it to the extreme and, uh, and trying to, uh, to prove a point. So high level, I think that it's uh, positive. If you look uh, into that specifically, I think that's a bit too extreme. Yeah, and, you know, and I think that there is um, a, a sort of, I don't know, like you can chase longevity and not dying or the average person can focus much more on just living a healthy, whatever years they've got in their life, living them as healthy as possible based on some of the markers that Inside Tracker sort of analyze. Cool. So how do you, um, how did you decide on those sort of biomarkers, the big pillars that you're focusing on? Yeah, that's a good question. So we, I'm going back, uh, I don't know, 15 years back. And when we realized that we want to test blood biomarkers, I looked at the catalog of a big uh, diagnostic company like Quest Diagnostic. Quest Diagnostic is the biggest uh, diagnostic company in the US. And I've seen that there are uh, thousands of uh, uh, biomarker, blood biomarkers that you can test. So I immediately understood that uh, uh, it will be way too expensive for a user to test all of them. And also, you might not have enough blood in your body to test all of them. So we came with a criteria, a simple criteria of uh, what are uh, the biomarkers that we want to test. And the first uh, point was it should be biomarker of health and not a disease. So I don't want to look at a biomarker related to a, a breast cancer or a, a other cancer, but more biomarker of health like glucose, how is your metabolism, uh, hormones, and other markers that basically uh, look more on health because the healthcare system already looking at the biomarker of disease. So that was the first one. Uh, the second was that uh, those uh, uh, biomarkers should be out of the normal range for at least 1% of the population. 
because I didn't want to waste their money. There are some markers that show a very rare issue that occur in one in a million. I don't think that it's a, a fair for the user to, to test it if it's only one in a million. So I said at least 1%. And the last one is that those biomarkers can be modulated by food supplement exercise or lifestyle changes, meaning you don't need to take a drug. You can use a natural and simple intervention to uh, modulate those markers. And based on that, we are, we are having today around 50 blood biomarkers that we are testing. We started with much smaller amount. We started with 10 and we started to increase it with time. Yeah. And have you noticed a sort of shift in the data that you now receive because you've got a more complete set of biomarkers? Like at what point are you like, you know, we could bring 70 in, but it's not actually going to change the value of what you're getting as a, as a company yeah. from data and what the individual is getting? Yeah, so I think that it's a bit different what the company is getting. We, you know, the more the merrier because then uh, we can uh, slice and dice the data. And uh, I think that uh, in the question that you sent to me, we'll discuss some of the papers that we published about our data. Uh, but I think that for the, for the user, it's really hard to say because the science uh, make uh, progress all the time and more and more information is coming. And I can give you a few examples of markers that we added recently, which uh, I think that they are very uh, important. One of them is uh, apolipoprotein B, or ApoB, yes. which is a marker of, uh, it's a better marker to, to assess whether you have a risk for cardiovascular diseases. And uh, before that, we only looked at the HDL, LDL, triglyceride, and so on. So that's a market that is important that uh, in the recent uh, years uh, have been shown again and again that it's much more accurate uh, to predict the risk of uh, cardiovascular diseases. So we decided to add it. So we added it recently, but I think that it had a lot of value. Another marker is uh, insulin. Uh, and uh, before that, we only looked at uh, uh, fasting glucose and A1C. And uh, insulin is basically showing uh, how uh, good your body function in uh, uh, producing this hormone insulin and allow you to absorb the, uh, the glucose into the cells. And it also can show you an early warning about someone that is uh, starting to get in the direction into being a diabetic. So I think that those are two examples of markers that literally we had uh, last year or year before. And still, there, there is a value. So, in my opinion, we'll continue to have a, a value like that. But um, I think that it's more like the 80 20 rule. So, we definitely cover the 80%, but still, the 20% will continue to come and the science make advance. So, we'll continue to add more markers based on that. Yeah, nice. And, Gil, how do um, sort of physicians view a company like Inside Tracker and the information that you're sort of giving out to consumers. And the reason I ask is, you know, as a, um, a nutritionist who is interested in this information for my clients, when I send my client along to their, in New Zealand, they're called general practitioners, and they discuss with their doctor, these are the, the markers that I'd like to test. Like that person isn't going in necessarily because they're feeling poorly, but they just want to be proactive about their health. And that's not always viewed as favorably. So how is it viewed and um, what's your experience with that? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think that's a, a, a pretty big question. And maybe I, I should provide a background. So at least in the US, the healthcare system, including the physician, 
and I'm not talking about all of them, but the majority of them, are uh, more looking at uh, treatment the disease than preventing a disease. So basically, when you come to them, and uh, before recording, uh, you inform me that you are a marathon runner and, uh, and so on, uh, they are not uh, uh, looking at you as someone that wants to optimize uh, yourself. It's more like, if uh, a Mickey is broken, how can we fix them? And I think that the right uh, view should be, Mickey is in, in a position today, how can we make her as good as possible for her to continue to be in the best uh, uh, position as long as possible? And that's what the uh, InstaTracker is trying to do. So it's more like prevention and less about uh, treatment. If you are broken, go to the clinician. If you want to... Uh, be as at the situation that you are today or better, come to InstaTracker and will allow you to optimize yourself and uh, take you to the best that you can be based on your potential. Um, so I think that that's, a, that's the situation. Now, there are more and more clinicians that understand that. And I don't know if you have the term longevity clinics or, uh, or other, uh, that uh, basically your preventive, uh, preventative uh, uh, clinician, they are uh, really trying to do what we are doing. And they're trying to, let's uh, look at the person holistically and try to find what are the small issues that he have today. And let's try to um, fix those small issues in order for him not to have a big issue in the uh, near or far future. And uh, we are uh, already working with a few of those uh, clinicians. And I think that that's the future. The future will be a, a, a preventative a longevity clinician that uh, basically trying to allow us to, to be better and not telling us, come to me only when you're broken and we'll take care of you. Yeah, no, that's, that makes um, perfect sense. And, and there are, of course, doctors here who feel similarly in that space. And I guess just the, the way the, the system is set up, it's not designed to have extensive um, conversations with your doctor about staying healthy. You've got like 15 minutes to talk about what's wrong with you rather than, you know, what's exactly. right. So I think that's, that plays a large role in it. Um, Gil, like I've heard you talk in a, a presentation about inner age, you know, and it's this idea that, you know, I, you know, I'm 46, but with my biomarkers and, and when I get measured, I might be, you know, 51 because of the running and the metabolic stress on the body, or I could, you know, be 39 because I've optimized my cardiovascular health. So I just, I guess there's a lot of critique around using the idea of something like inner age or biological age because they're based on soft outcomes because we can't use hard outcomes like what's what's your take on it or what's I guess your response to that kind of critique yeah so uh, biological age I think that it's a it's a good uh, tool to allow a person to have one number that he can compare with his uh, chronological age all of us know what is our age it's uh, something that uh, I don't know anyone in the world that doesn't know how old he is. And uh, having a, a, a number that you can compare and uh, know, am I younger than my chronological age or older than my chronological age, can uh, give you a reference point that you can uh, understand. And uh, my point is, it's not very important if your uh, uh, inner age or biological age is uh, 51, 52, 51.2. But it's more important is what is the relationship between it and your chronological age? 
And if it's uh, older than your chronological age, meaning that uh, most likely you something in your body is not working uh, well or something is uh, need to be fixed. If it's younger, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's better. It's uh, functioning better than what, uh, let's say, the comparable population. But uh, uh, it can always, be, almost always can be better. So it's, uh, even if you are younger than your chronological age, you can always uh, strive to be better. Like uh, in your example, running the Boston Marathon, you can always beat your PR. Even the fastest person in the world can beat his PR. So uh, even the best person with the best inner age in Insta Tracker can make his inner age uh, better, I assume. And, and, and that's the, the idea. So to provide to you a reference, then uh, because our uh, inner age is an open box and uh, we are telling you why you are younger and older and what biomarker uh, contribute for you to be younger and uh, or older, you can work on the biomarkers that are uh, the most problematic. And we are providing you a very specific intervention of what food to eat, what supplement uh, to take, what exercise to do, what lifestyle changes to perform in order to optimize these blood biomarkers, biomarkers, sorry, and based on that, most likely will improve your inner age. So it's a, in a way, it's a gamifying the uh, biomarker work and allowing users to fight with their, uh, between their chronological and inner, uh, and inner age and uh, make it uh, lower because it's based on blood biomarkers. Most likely, if you'll do that, uh, um, you'll improve your uh, biomarker related to health and performance. You'll be less sick, and hopefully you'll uh, uh, live better longer. We also have data that show that uh, in our population, a uh, user that started within a age that is above uh, their chronological age uh, significantly decreased their uh, inner age in the follow-up test. And we can see it also in the second follow-up and the third follow-up and the fourth follow-up. So basically, it's a good tool for users to um, try to fight the, uh, let's say, the aging process and uh, try to, uh, to, to get as healthier as possible for long. Yeah. Gil, how, what's the difference between your chronological age and your inner age? So currently, I'm around five years younger than my uh, uh, chronological age. Uh, but in the past, I used to be uh, also much, uh, much uh, older. And it's, it's changing all the time. Uh, as I said at the beginning, we are a very complex machine. And uh, I, like, I like the analogy of the car. So um, every uh, 5,000 or 10,000 kilometers, you take the car into the technician. The technician plug a computer into the car. The computer telling the technician what is wrong with the car. The technician take care of it, and then the car is good for another 10,000 kilometers. Um, and then uh, after 10,000 kilometers, you take the car again to the technician is doing it again and again and again. And research showed that since we uh, incorporate this routine maintenance of the car, the lifespan of the car increased from around 100,000 kilometers to 200,000 kilometers. And uh, I believe that our body is the same. So doing the insert tracker test every, let's say, 5,000 or 10,000 kilometers allow you to find what are the issues, allow you to receive intervention, do the intervention, and then test your uh, car again after 5,000 or 10,000 miles, see what, uh, uh, what changed, because something improved, but uh, maybe you have a new problem, and then take care of it. And that will allow you, at the end of the day, hopefully to live uh, better longer. 
Yeah, nice. And I, as I understand it, Inside Tracker doesn't give you recommendations based on 50 biomarkers. It sort of groups them up into those pillars that we're just talking about, food and exercise and lifestyle and, and things like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Gil, do you ever see any trade-offs? You know, I was thinking about this, I was listening to Brian Johnson talk, you know, when you try to optimize for one thing, something else, you might actually be unintentionally um, worsening something else. Have you ever come across that in some of the data that you that you look at? Yeah, absolutely. It can happen. What we are trying to do at InstaTracker, our recommendation, we develop a AI um, um, application that allow us to provide to you the best intervention for you holistically based on all the blood biomarkers so it's not only i want to improve cholesterol and that's my influence my inflammation we know that if your cholesterol and inflammation are high we'll try to improve both of them at one time so find i call it maybe a focus food a specific food that can improve both of them at once but uh, it could be that another marker that we that is okay right now when you have the intervention, will actually shoot up or down, and it will change it. So that's why it's you need to do the test. Uh, I don't know every once a year or twice a year in order to see what. Okay, I, I intervene. What was the effect of other unexpected uh, uh, biomarkers? Yeah, yeah. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. And um, something which piqued my interest, like a month or so ago, was a report on a study you did on runners. And often, you know, there's for whatever reason, I see this quite a bit, and maybe it's just in my feed. Lots of people talking about how you know running extends longevity, and then other people will say, no, no, running like just um, reduces longevity, and it's not good for your health or your heart, which to my mind, is a bit ridiculous, um, and I'm sure data more supports its role in longevity. But I'm really interested in that study that you did that looked at cohorts of runners, which were both professional and recreational, and also sedentary individuals and the difference between between their biomarkers. So can we chat about the, um, I guess, the premise of the study and, and what you looked at? Yeah, so... The idea here was um, it started by uh, one of our team members that uh, work with a lot of uh, uh, professional that are uh, runners, and uh, he, uh, he he asked us to slice and dice our data uh, for them. And when we uh, started to look at that, we've seen a very nice result. And uh, I said, "No way, we are going to publish it in a, a peer review publication." And what we, we have done, we have uh, some uh, uh, amazing runner, like an uh, ultra marathon runner, meaning they are not running 42 kilometers, they are, might run 100 miles. So we have a, a, a group of those, and then we have, a, a, I don't remember the number, I can look at that, but uh, more than 15,000 uh, runners in a, in a different level of running. So it can be people like you that run marathon, can be maybe you run ultra marathon. I'm not sure, but uh, uh, so 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 you have the marathon runner. Let's say it's people that run more like 10k, people that run 5k, and some uh, uh, people that I, I call a couch potato, but you can call it a, a, a sedentary group that basically not running at all. And uh, then we uh, decide, okay, let's look at uh, what is the effect of running on the level of uh, uh, blood biomarkers. And uh, high level, what we have seen that uh, 
people that running uh, have a better blood biomarkers all over, mostly. There are, there are a few, um, um, let's say, outlier of that. Uh, for example, cortisol, the stress hormone uh, runner, have uh, a bit higher of that, and we know that uh, a marker like ferritin related to iron, especially for women, so they have a bit lower of that. But the rest of the markers, like uh, um, the lipids and the inflammation and the um, glucose and the um, A1C, which is uh, both markers of uh, uh, energy metabolism, all of them uh, looks much better in uh, uh, runners than uh, um, uh, not runner, and with some of them we've seen a dose rep, uh, dependent uh, response, meaning that uh, uh, you're running more, uh, you, uh, the level will be even better. So a good example is LDL cholesterol. So uh, sedentary have the highest level on average of uh, uh, LDL cholesterol. If you, let's say, low volume runner, let's say a 5K runner, it's a bit better and it's uh, significant. Then the 10K is a, a, a bit better than that. The, let's say the marathon runner is a, a bit better than that, and the ultra marathoners uh, are even a bit better than that. Some other markers, uh, it's uh, running is making better, but it's enough, uh, if I'm trying to give the analogy, to run a 5K in order to see the effect. So the goal is in the future, maybe, uh, based on the follow up uh, studies, you can come and say, you have a high, uh, I don't know, triglyceride. Uh, it's enough for you to run a, a 5K, a, I don't know, a few times a week, and that will give you the effect. You don't need to run ultramarathon for that. So, uh, the, what we are trying to to build in the future is a, a sort of an algorithm that will suggest for a person what uh, what exercise and how long they should exercise in order to optimize a specific marker. So, so that's a one uh, outcome of uh, uh, the paper. Another outcome that we have seen that there is a very strong correlation with uh, BMI. Again, which is, in my opinion, it's not a surprise at all. Uh, you run more, your BMI is lower. So, uh, and we see it also as a dose-dependent effect. By the way, we see it both in males and females. Uh, what is uh, interesting is that uh, uh, there is, uh, we in integrate here also genetics and look at a polygenic score related to BMI, meaning what is the, uh, there is a correlation between having a high BMI, part of it is genetic, not all of it, but part of it. Meaning uh, if you have a, a better gene for BMI, you, you have a less risk to have high BMI. If you have a worse gene for BMI, you have a better risk. A uh, better chance to have high, uh, higher chance to have high BMI. So what we uh, we said, let's uh, try to see whether uh, running can offset it. So can uh, uh, running can uh, fight your uh, high BMI? And what we have seen is, and we divide the population to three different groups: a high risk, a middle risk, and low risk. And indeed, uh, uh, we have seen in the, uh, in the sedentary population that uh, the subpopulation that uh, have a high risk for a, a, a high BMI indeed have a much higher BMI than some that have the low risk. But when we looked at it for runners, uh, especially for a, a high distance runners, 
we have seen that running offset that. So meaning that even if you have a high risk for IBMI, uh, if you run, uh, you have a better chance to uh, beat your uh, potential and don't uh, want to have a high BMI. And we know that uh, BMI is a risk factor for a lot of diseases. So it's also interesting to show that uh, um, running can offset uh, uh, the higher genetic risk for high BMI. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people will critique the use of BMI because at an individual basis, it's not so helpful. But I mean, as you mentioned, this was a study done in over 23,000 runners when we sort of grouped them. So it's completely appropriate to use a marker like that because we're talking at that group level. And I guess this just goes to show, doesn't it, the nature versus nurture um, sort of playing out in that genetic story. Because you did mention, Gil, that that uh, using uh, genetic data is is now part of Inside Tracker. Like, how do you make a decision as to what genes to sort of look at? So, for example, we are looking at BMI and, and obesity risk. What what's that sort of criteria, and what and what are those? I mean, is it easy enough to describe that? Yeah. So yeah, we have a, a genetic team in the company led by a, a, an amazing a PhD scientist that uh, basically uh, research it. And uh, we are uh, looking at a, a polygenic score, maybe basically aggregation of a, lo a lot of uh, a single nucleotide polymorphisms. So we are not looking at one gene or a, a 10 genes. For some of the scores, we have 20,000 different uh, locations of the DNA. We combine all of it together and develop a, a risk score for, uh, for example, what is your risk score to have high cholesterol? high glucose, or high A1C, or high ApoB. And uh, uh, so we, we are, one way to do that is to develop a risk score for specific blood biomarker. Another one is uh, more about things that related to longevity. For example, grip strength. So grip strength is really correlated with longevity. And uh, uh, apparently, there is a, a genetic predisposition. For me, for example, when we developed this uh, risk score, we found that uh, I am in the uh, bottom 2% for a potential to have high grip strengths, okay? which is uh, crazy. Yeah. Yes. And I, there is an uh, apparatus called ma magnometer that you can... And when I tried it, I've seen, yeah, my uh, grip strength is uh, pretty weak. Ah, interesting. So that's... That's uh, basically uh, made me to start uh, uh, walking in the gym and uh, lifting weight and uh, doing a farmer carry and uh, uh, leaning on the pole and all of that in order to uh, improve my uh, grip strengths. So you can see a good example of uh, a score that uh, can uh, that doesn't connect at all to blood biomarker but connected to a, a surrogate marker of longevity. And based on that, you can uh, change your behavior and hopefully. Uh, be that, and I, I, I feel like I'm much, much more stronger right now, and I can see it also in uh, the magnometer. Uh, another one is a bone mineral density that we are looking at the uh, risk score for that, uh, especially important for postmenopausal uh, women. Visceral fat. Uh, so we are looking at a, uh, uh, we are actually launching uh, in a few weeks a new report related to um, health span related DNA scores that are. Uh, 
are not necessarily corrected, correlated with the blood biomarkers, but correlated with longevity. So I'm sorry, Gil, are you, did you just say that you've got genetic tests that look at your risk of visceral fat or, or low bone mineral density, or you're actually doing a DEXA scan, you're measuring visceral fat and being, this is all sort of not genetic, but using those tests? Yeah, no, uh, those are genetic tests, yeah. Oh, it's wow. basically risk. Yeah. yeah, amazing. And then you can do, uh, you can go and do a DEXA scan and find your visceral fat, a bone mineral density and all of that. There are also in, in other ways to, uh, to do that. But yeah, so those are things that are important that most of us don't know. And uh, we are not aware. I didn't know. I also have a high risk for visceral fat, so I'm trying to work on that as well. Um, Luckily, my bone mineral density is great, so I know I don't need to worry about it too much right now. So it's basically allow you to make, a, in a way, make a priority list of what should you do in your time. We only have 24 hours a day. We need to work. We need to uh, spend time with our family and uh, other, but we need to find, okay, what is the priority in my uh, me time, what should I do in order to allow me to live better longer? And if we're going back to Brian Johnson, so instead of spending 24-7 on that, what, what should I do if I have only one hour a day to work, or one and a half hour a day? And the infrastructure can help you to find, to find yeah. the answer. Yeah, nice. And, you know, with if I'm going back to that um, running score, the, the runner's study, but it was interesting that the blood glucose management wasn't actually that different between sort of runners and non-runners. And I wondered whether it was just because you've got data from people who are interested in health. So they're much more, they might already have sort of healthy behaviors in place and they're just wanting to get some feedback on that. It's just that they don't run. Like, is that, is that your take on that um, result? Yeah, I, I think that the blood glucose is a, is a tough one. And the reason for that is um, a lot of runners are uh, waking up uh, early in the morning and uh, go for one and don't eat well before. So the body, again, our body is smart enough that they know how to compensate for that and uh, know when you wake up, let's uh, release some uh, sugar or some glucose from the liver. And that's why uh, I've seen some papers in the past, and again, I've worked with some uh, uh, endurance uh, athletes, and a lot of them, uh, when you look at the uh, fasting blood glucose, they have a, a relatively high fasting blood glucose. But when you look at the uh, hemoglobin A1C, actually it's not too high. Uh, so if you look in the paper at the data about the hemoglobin A1C, you can see that running uh, much significantly decreased the A1C than, uh, let's say, for uh, uh, glucose. So I think that the fasting glucose is more like an artifact of that than the a real result. Um, but uh, I've seen a lot of data in the literature in the past that say, hey, uh, running is not good for uh, diabetes or something like that. And I, I think that that's wrong. Uh, it's uh, actually uh, running is uh, pretty good for that. Again, I'm not uh, in favor of anyone wake up at 5 a.m. Uh, for running. If you can wake up at 7 or Go to sleep. If you want to wake up at 5 a.m., go to sleep at 8 p.m. Yeah, or 9. Uh, 9's all right as well, I think. Yeah, 9 is okay. <laughs> but uh, don't compromise your sleep. Sleep is very important. It's not good yes. to sleep. We have an amazing data about that. And uh, also, uh, if you are uh, running uh, for a long time, 
uh, for a long duration, you should uh, fuel your body before. It's not good to wake up at 5 a.m., go for a two-hour sauce, and then come home. It's, it's not healthy for your body. Uh, and again, we want to maintain our machine for uh, the age 120 and not for the age uh, 42. So uh, be aware that uh, doing that will compromise the machine, the long-term uh, uh, health of the machine. Yeah. And then it's interesting, I, as I understand it, I mean, I imagine you'll follow or probably even know Peter Atia, and he talks about fasting glucose and he's not as sold on using it as a biomarker in his clinic for the reasons that you've discussed, actually, Gil. And so and are there, he, he's a fan of a CGM. Does Inside Tracker either utilize CGM data or um, is that in the future? Yeah, we, we haven't done it yet. We, it's definitely on our roadmap. I think that CGM is uh, amazing for diabetic and uh, can help them uh, maintain their uh, uh, sugar level. We are trying to be very careful with uh, when we introduce a new modality that there is enough peer-reviewed scientific publication that show the value of, uh, of this modality. In the case of CGM, there is no data yet that uh, there is advantage for, a, let's say, healthy person to, to use CGM. I've seen, uh, I used it in the past. I know a lot of people that use it, and uh, uh, there, are, there are a lot of uh, freak out uh, moments for a lot of people. I can give you an example. Uh, some people can, oh, I ate oatmeal and my uh, uh, glucose spike, so I stopped eating uh, oatmeal. So that can be. Okay, one uh, uh, outcome of that. Another outcome comes say, you are looking at the room from the keyhole. What I'm uh, talking about is, you are looking at uh, the effect of uh, oatmeal on the, that second of effect on the level of glucose, but it's only temporary effect. Oatmeal has a lot of fiber that uh, can allow you to maintain the glucose for a long time. It's also good for uh, other markers such as cholesterol. Um, and there are a lot of value on, for your gut microbiome. So to come and say, because you have seen a peak, a high peak in uh, following uh, consuming oatmeal, and to come and say, I will stop uh, eating oatmeal or oatmeal is bad, I think that that's uh, far-fetched. And that's what I'm worried about, uh, about those, uh, adding those tools to uh, the end consumer without having enough uh, a scientific data and peer review publication. Yeah, and I, um, for what it's worth, I, I really like CGM data when I'm working with people if they have it. But it, just because for the example that you give, then to my mind as a nutritionist, I'm like, well, you know, you know, how do you feel? Because if you have a large spike, you might have a big crash. But also, you know, oatmeal, as you say, good soluble fiber, does help with um, gastrointestinal system, helps bulk up the stool, et cetera. So, you know, how can you have the oatmeal so you're still having it, but you might not be getting so much of a, a spike? So that's what I like about um, on an individual level that, that kind of yeah. data. But I appreciate that you know there's so much more to it than just because you're looking at you know hundreds and thousands of people and and um, and how it might be utilized at that individual level. And I guess it's you know there's value in having that data as an individual, but knowing how to interpret it's really important. I agree. Um, Gil, I was speaking this week to Marco Altina, Altini, and he is, um, as you know, he's a he's you know a, an expert in heart rate variability. 
And we, of course, talked about, you mentioned sleep before. So can we discuss sort of how Inside Tracker looks at those kind of markers for the individual? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that uh, sleep is uh, uh, extremely important uh, um, um, intervention that is uh, underrated in our society. And uh, as I said before, we have 24 hours a day and uh, people are trying to find a way to extend it. So the easiest way is to come and say, okay, I will go to sleep an hour later and I will wake up an hour, uh, hour before. Suddenly I have uh, two more hours to, uh, to do the stuff that I like to do. But uh, we have a lot of data that show that uh, um, when people that sleep between seven to nine hours, if you compare them to people that sleep less than that, sleep, people that sleep more than that, they have the best uh, uh, level of uh, metabolic-related markers such as uh, A1C and uh, cholesterol and triglyceride. They also have the best level of uh, VO2 max, and if you want, we can... Uh, discuss that as well. And in my opinion, VO2 max is a master regulator of uh, health span and longevity. We have the, an amazing data about that. And uh, I'm sure that uh, Marco Altini will uh, agree with that. I actually interviewed Marco for uh, our podcast in the past and it was uh, fascinating to Yeah, we will come discuss. back to VO2 because I am interested in that, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, if we, you're talking about a uh, HRV and uh, I would say resting heart rate are coming, uh, in my opinion, uh, uh, together. They're going the opposite directions, but they are coming together. Uh, I can tell you that a couple of weeks ago I had uh, COVID and I'm using Aura uh, Ring. I'm not sure that it's, if it's uh, available in uh, New Zealand. Uh, but it, it was cool because I, I looked at my Aura Ring and I've seen, hey, my uh, first sign, my temperature uh, jumped. Um, I, it's, it's always, uh, I know, around. They don't talk, show you the temperature, but they show you the variation of the temperature. So at the day that I uh, fell sick, I looked at it two and a half de uh, degrees above uh, uh, my uh, uh, average. And then I've seen that my uh, resting heart rate uh, went very high and my HRV plumbed to the uh, floor. And, uh, and then with time, I, I started to see it. Uh, uh, um, uh, start to climb uh, uh, back to, to the right uh, level. So I think that uh, uh, definitely HRV and uh, uh, resting heart rate are a, a very important variable that uh, people need to understand. We are actually integrate all of that to InstaTracker and uh, we are providing to users some, uh, uh, some tips. So for example, if your resting heart rate uh, last night was uh, much higher than it's supposed to be, we are sending you a notification telling you about that and also providing to you a specific recommendation, what should you do in order to improve your resting heart rate for uh, tomorrow. The same with sleep and the same with uh, other, uh, uh, what we call physiological markers. So I think that that's, uh, those markers are important for a few reasons. First, they are coming, the cadence of the availability of them is uh, very high. Every day you receive your resting heart rate and HRV. Some event are even giving you more than once a day. Um, you also uh, uh, can uh, uh, easily uh, interpret it, and they are having some correlation with uh, some blood biomarkers. Um, the drawback of them that uh, I think that the quality of them is uh, much lower than blood biomarkers. So blood is like a liquid gold, is validated and calibrated everything. 
But in another way, other than CGM, you cannot receive data of blood every day. So I think that there is a, a, some balance between, a, let's say, blood every quarter to once a year, uh, then having a, a, the DNA once in a lifetime, and then you have the uh, data from the a fitness tracker that come every day. And then it's a mix of all of them together that uh, allow you to, if you combine all of it together and look at the body holistically, you can uh, provide a very personal recommendation for the end user. Yeah, for sure. And with your, um, I'm interested in the sleep, like are there any genetic uh, sort of components to being able to sleep or not? Like I've had this conversation yeah, with, some, with some friends. Yeah, like, do you like integrate that, like genes that yeah. make you, need less sleep or make it harder for you to get good sleep? Like, how does that look? Yeah. So first of all, you have, uh, are you a morning person or evening person? Yeah, okay? yeah. So there is uh, definitely a polygenetic uh, uh, score for that. I'm uh, literally a, a morning person. So uh, I think we are superior, I, actually, to evening people. I think yeah, that, that we yeah. know that too, well, right? <laughs> yeah. Morning people uh, are having a less uh, a risk of uh, dying early, and they are, uh, uh, there is advantage of, of that. But it's also good to know because uh, there are some people that, uh, let's say, morning person that behave like an evening person, okay? Yes. And then... And then that's 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 not, not not good. Or think about if your spouse is an evening person, you're a morning person. Someone oh, yeah. need to, to adjust. So that's uh, I'm lucky. Both of us are uh, more like a, a, a morning person. It's also related to to making a decision. Think about uh, uh, I would never make a, a big decision at nine p.m. and I, I will I will try not to walk after nine p.m. because I know that I'm a morning person, but I. I'm, I, my efficiency at work is like a 10 times better at a, I don't know, 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. than uh, I don't know, at 5 p.m. So when I have a tough task, I, I like to do that at that time. So there, there are a lot of things that you can learn from based on the morning versus evening. You have also the, uh, the effect of caffeine on your sleep. Uh, uh, some people, I'm, I have a very strong effect, and I... Somehow I decided not to drink coffee. I haven't drank coffee for more than five years. See, I think actually that this happens. If you know that, you know, like you can get a genetic test to um, determine the way you metabolize caffeine, but I think that you probably make a decision um, earlier in your life that it doesn't make you feel good, so you're not going to have it, which is almost yeah. like proof that you're a slow metabolizer. I don't know. These are that's things that I think. Yeah, about. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, so I'm saying that yeah, there is a lot of uh, genetic for sleep uh, for sure. Uh, but um, the good news is that even if uh, you have a, a poor genetic, for example, for me for the grip strength, so let's say you have a, a high risk for uh, having a high ApoB, which uh, suggests that you have a a higher risk to have a cardiovascular disease. Even for ApoB, the coverage of the uh, genetic is only around uh, less than 15%, meaning that 85% is uh, based on your uh, lifestyle behavior and so on. So nobody can come and say, oh, uh, I'm sorry, I have uh, a bad genetic, my uh, uh, ApoB is high because that, and that's it, I'm uh, raising my hands. No. Uh, you have 85% of your lifestyle, of your nutrition, of your exercise, and 
the only point is you need to work harder. You, you got a big, bad card at, in Vegas, so uh, work harder and try to beat the, the gifted that receive a good card. That's yeah. it. Yeah, 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 that's it, right? Like it's often people who I talk to are, are almost, they're like, well, I can't do anything about this because my parents also had high cholesterol. So they almost give up before they try it. Or dare I say it, use it as a bit of a justification for not working on it. Another story story that uh, a lot of people used to tell me, oh, you're you're telling me that running is good. I have a friend, used to be a runner, he ran a marathon, got a a cardiovascular event and he died. I said, okay, he's a a poor guy that uh, had a very bad uh, luck, but it's one in a million. How many people, uh, obese people are dying for heart attack every day? So don't don't look at the one in a million, look at the uh, population. A hundred percent, Gil. So at Inside Tracker and in, in, in your office, is everyone there sort of bought into getting their bloods done regularly, making um, changes? Do you gamify it at your office? I'm sort of curious. Yeah, we um, we are allowing our our uh, employees to test as much as they as they want. We are. Uh, uh, Based on uh, uh, the, uh, if they wish to, we are talking about it. Definitely, it's uh, more like, uh, you know, it's a medical information. So if someone doesn't want to talk about it, he's not talking about it. But we, we are trying to encourage our users to test for, uh, for uh, DNA as well and uh, to have a fitness tracker with them and then uh, come with an idea, how can we make it better? Because it's, uh, it's very tough. I think that it's... Uh, very tough to provide uh, such a solution that uh, work well and uh, uh, there is a good engagement. So we are definitely encouraging our uh, uh, team to use it as much as they can and uh, help us to make it better. It's a, it's a group effort. It's not a guild effort. It's a, we have a team of almost 100 people that do it. It's yeah, not, amazing. It's not me. Yeah. It's the institutional team. It's the amazing uh, scientists, engineers, business people, customer success, yeah. uh, that uh, making the product amazing. That's, yeah. that's a, a team effort. Yeah, that is awesome. And um, Gil, so, you know, that I found that running paper super interesting. I know you have other sort of research on the go. What are some things that um, we can look out for in that um, information space from Inside Tracker over the next year or so? Yeah, so we are, we are in the process of developing a few new applications that will come soon. Uh, one example that I think that it will be might be exciting for you is we are using a, a food recognition platform to allow user to scan his food for a week, and based on that to receive a, a, a much deeper information about what macro and micronutrient you consume too much or too little. Uh, to explain to you why it's important and to show you out of the food that you consume, what are the food that you should consume more in order to correct this uh, macro and micronutrient. Also to show you how your nutrition interacts with your sleep, exercise, and uh, what are you doing wrong and what you're doing uh, well. So for example, you eat two hours before sleep and uh, you are surprised that uh, uh, you don't sleep well. Or you ex as uh, two minutes before you go to sleep also. So things like that, that uh, it's much better to show you, hey, this is your uh, data. You cannot argue with that. You're doing something wrong. Please correct it and uh, test again. 
Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing that we are coming with. We are uh, also adding a, a, a few other uh, uh, applications uh, based on physiological markers that uh, will uh, provide a more uh, value to our uh, users. And we're also working on uh, publishing another paper with uh, amazing data. Some of it I discussed with you today. Some of it uh, we haven't had the time to discuss. So we have a lot of uh, exciting news from Instatrack. Yeah, that sounds great. And, you know, it's not available in New Zealand, the the test itself. And I think it's, or, or at least not not to the best of my knowledge, but I think a lot of the information that you put out there as a company with your podcast, the presentations I've seen, the publications, there's so much take-home stuff for people that even without having the full battery of tests and, and doing it, they've at least got some more understanding of the lifestyle biomarker behavior sort of connection yeah ju- just one correction the uh, testing uh, and connecting to a lab is not working in new zealand but uh, uh, someone in new zealand can uh, upload the uh, his blood result and the, oh, nice. the dna data and connect his fitness tracker to insert tracker that's is doable in new zealand oh that is amazing you cannot we cannot help you to um, get tested and uh, retrieve your result. But if you have data, you can upload it. Oh, thank you. No, that is really good because I wasn't aware of that. So that's really good, really good to know. Um, Gil, can you please, for the listener, uh, let us know where we can find your podcast and just more about the, the things that we've talked about this morning? Yeah. So the podcast called Longevity by Design, and it's, uh, I would say, focus on longevity. We, are, we interviewed the best and the brightness writers in uh, the longevity field, people like uh, David Sinclair and uh, uh, um, Nir Barzilai and all the leaders of uh, uh, the aging research. We already interviewed like, more than 50 of the leaders in the aging. Uh, the company is Inside Tracker. You can find it at InsideTracker.com. Um, you can find me on social, on uh, LinkedIn, on uh, Twitter, on Instagram. My, my name is Gil Blander, and uh, yeah, I'd love to communicate with anyone. Yeah, that's amazing, Gil. Thank you so much for your time. I um, really appreciated it. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Hopefully you enjoyed that and as I said earlier you can actually update your data from here in New Zealand or upload your data that is uh, and just head onto their website and you'll get some details as to how to do that in case you're interested. Next week on the podcast I have a returning guest Guillaume Malay and we talk about sex differences in endurance athletes and performance so I think you're really going to love that. Until next week, though, you can catch me over on Threads, Instagram and Twitter at Mickey Willardin, Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition. Head to my website, mickeywillardin.com and book a one-on-one call with me. All right, team, you have the best week. See you later.